shining a light on the issue of domestic violence. The United Nations study out this week finds domestic violence is one of the most common killers of women around the world. Fears are growing at domestic violence shelters. Domestic violence experts in our top story. Well, the domestic violence situation quickly turned into an assault. The federal government calls it a pervasive problem that frequently goes undetected. We're talking about the courage that it takes to come forward as a victim. All right, everyone, uh, thanks for tuning in. My name is Ryan Stillwater. I'm the Development Director with Saving Grace, based in Bend. We serve the Tri-County area here in Central Oregon. If you're unfamiliar with us, we are really the only organization providing services and programs for survivors of intimate partner violence, sexual assault, and intimate partner stalking. When headlines started to roll about stressful events, seasons, uh, there's a spike in domestic violence. And that is clearly alarming to us at Saving Grace and to the community, especially when the stay-at-home order took place and businesses started closing. You know, we had McMinimins that that right away laid off 3,000 employees. The number nationwide is now at 22 million. One thing that came to mind specifically is we did a survey of survivors back last fall, and we asked the question, when did the abuse escalate? And the most common answer was at the loss of a job. So today, I have invited a couple friends, uh, Tyler Balotica. He is a local therapist and a good friend. And Christopher Ucho, he is um, one of our longtime uh, facilitators and uh, managers, right, Christopher, at Mary's Place. Mary's Place is the Safe Exchange and Visitation Center in Bend. I'm excited to have both these guys here. What we're going to cover in this conversation specifically is what are the different types of abuse? Uh, what causes a man or woman to become abusive? How can we process our stress and anxiety during this pandemic in a healthy way? There's a couple of resources that I, I gleaned from some prep. One is, why does he do that? Pretty popular. And then this one, I threw out the book jacket because I'm not a fan of book jackets, but it's called No Visible Bruises. Um, this came out last year. Um, so I'll be referencing those, um, quite a bit. Yeah. Let's jump right in. What are the various forms of abuse that, that, you know, show themselves in a romantic intimate relationship? You want me to kick this one off? Yeah. For, for me, I mean, obviously uh, abuse looks like a whole lot of different things. Uh, and it's not typically, um, something that's easy to define. So there's, you know, physical and sexual um, abuse, there's emotional abuse, there's spiritual abuse, economic, um, you know, using coercion and threats. There's a fine line between dysfunction uh, and actual abuse. Isolation, which right now, you know, is like, it's pretty, um, we're all isolating potentially. And so that's a lot easier for an abuser to um, even further that isolation um, and use justifications as the pandemic. And also, you know, using, especially like, and during a pandemic, using economic abuse, you know, and coercion and threats um, for physical violence or deportation or using their male privilege, which is probably the most driving thing about, um, you know, uh, uh, the tactics, um, you know, just that core belief. And I think this is where, you know, a lot of abuse comes from is that core belief of, you know, I can, I believe I can get, I can dominate you. That's my right to dominate you, to control you. And I'll use physical force, how much ever I need, um, you know, and full out violence or homicide, 
um, if necessary. We have to make sure that we uh, also define how we care for ourselves, uh, because if we're not caring for ourselves, we quickly spiral into the place where abuse is sort of a result of uh, lack of care, lack of understanding. And I, I'm going to share my screen here for a second, because this, um, I think, kind of highlights or summarizes. So this is uh, the results from that survey I mentioned. So the question being, aside from physical abuse, what other aspects were present in your relationship? So top one being verbal intimidation, isolation from friends and family, abusive trust, coercion. So those are the top, what, those are the top five. Um, and even though we said aside from physical, we still put it in there and that was selected. So um, controlled my money is a big one. Threats to hurt me. You know, Tyler goes to your, your point of um, what do you do when you don't feel safe? That's a big red flag. So if you're being threatened with violence um, or deportation or um, being locked out of bank accounts, you know, of course you'll, you will probably, you know, you, you'll respond um, a self-preserving way. You'll respond in a way that'll have the less detriment to your, your own children. Um, so we, you know, we, we've been sharing a little bit of this survey in, in, uh, here and there, but I'll, uh, I'll be sure to put this in the final recording for everyone. So you can take a, a closer look at it. Again, one reason I wanted to do this is I'm hoping that again, since men are predominantly the abusive, um, person in the relationship, for men who also have shown statistically that losing a job and this kind of stress caused by the pandemic is going to give them so much that they don't know how to, how to deal with what, how, how can, how can, you know, how can someone watching this who's like, I am feeling this, I am feeling stress. I am feeling like my family's on eggshells. I do feel like I'm going to explode and I'm scared. And this has never been me. Maybe I've never, I've never had this much going on. What, what what can what can you guys lend to them as far as um, help that they can do you know in the privacy of their own home with a meditation app or um, you know Tyler I know that you're doing remote counseling now just like we're doing here what, what things can can they can they do what um, maybe preconceived ideas about therapy can you address that maybe they'll think like man maybe that doesn't sound like what I thought therapy would be like. Um, I think that's long enough of a tee up. Go for it. Thanks. Thanks for teeing that up. I'll, I'll start real quick since you, since you dropped my, uh, my telehealth sessions in there. Um, yeah, we're doing therapy all on the computer now too, just like this. And yeah, I think that there, the importance of therapy is not so much the interventions. It's not so much the modalities that we use in therapy, but it would be, um, it would be extremely important to create different resources within our life. Um, if that's therapy, great. If that's talking to mom, that's great. If that's uh, having a puppy to, to snuggle, that's great. Those are different resources that are not just for self-soothing, um, but there's a whole level of our nervous system that's just focused on social engagement. Uh, and so if we're not doing conversations like this, even through a computer, uh, I don't think mirror neurons work quite the same way over a computer screen, but face-to-face uh, -face they do and they actually heal. Yeah, I've been in contact with a lot of our, um, uh, you know, um, dads in our program and just checking in with them about, you know, how they're doing and, and what are they doing for self-care. And we've been, you know, hearing a lot of, you know, physical stuff, you know, doing physical things, you know, so that they can still engage in and social distance and um, keep their families safe. Um, 
during the pandemic, um, reduce their risk of transmission or, you know, um, infection. And um, hearing a lot of folks going out and, and even fishing and chopping wood and all the way to journaling and um, you know, writing their kids letters that they might give them, they, they might not be able to give them right now, but at a later date, you know, if they're not seeing their kid, children, um, see, we're hearing a lot of folks, uh, you know, turning into, ba- turn into baking and, uh, you know, cooking food and taking good care of themselves that way, all the way to, you know, taking a bubble bath for crying out loud. So. I think one thing that's always been helpful for me, I don't know where I first heard it, is that our feelings are real, but they're not always the truth. And I, I wonder, I don't think, you know, something like humility is on like the psychologists, like, you know, it's not like a, like a brain level conversation, but I, I am curious how beneficial it would be for someone who maybe doesn't typically open up to their partner um you know it is stereotype of men that we are we don't talk about our emotions a lot a lot we that's, we have a hard time with that but just to communicate i feel emasculated by losing my job i feel like you're looking at me and you're disappointed and those feelings could be incredibly real and now this individual is coming to all these different conclusions and having this whole conversation in his head about his partner and what she's thinking and feeling towards him and um and if he would just say that and then allow her to maybe speak some, some truth, just to, to be humble, say what's, what you're feeling, and then hear their response, either to validate maybe, maybe that is right on. But I'm guessing more often than not, the feelings that some, of, you know, some men are experiencing about um, who they are, how they, they think their partner views them are not the truth. Any thoughts there? Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, um, there's a lot of different ways that folks can communicate, like, and especially men can communicate to their partners how they're feeling in a very, you know, whatever, a super safe way for them, you know, whether that be writing it down on a piece of paper and leaving it on the counter and just say, you know, Hey, this is the way I'm feeling right now. These are the things I'm struggling with. Can you help me? or not even can you help me just letting them know what they're struggling with um i've talked to guys that really would love to be able to text their partner um just you know whatever they're feeling about um how what are their frustrations yeah that's great christopher i'll just add with something real quick because i i love what you said about um different ways to communicate um and that's so important because it's going to look different for everyone Um, How I communicate with my spouse is going to be different than how you guys probably would too. Um, But there's something, there's something not magical. It feels magical uh, about communicating with our hands. Uh, And oftentimes in therapy, I'll talk about it it with, with men uh, in terms of, you know, face-to-face communication is really difficult because there's, there's a different types of connection when I can see your eyes, especially if it's an intimate partner. Um, And uh, the other option, so face-to-face communication is one way, but the other option that you talked about, I call it shoulder to shoulder. Um, it's when you're doing something active, going for a walk or, you know, when the mountains open skiing or sitting on the lift, right? You're shoulder to shoulder, uh, even watching a movie. Sometimes you're sitting shoulder to shoulder. Uh, and so it's opportunities like that, that 
that not only create connection, but they can also be opportunities of communication that doesn't feel threatening at all. Because um, part of what you mentioned too, Christopher, early on is this male privilege is we're not expected to solve problems with our words um, according to society, right? It'd be great if we were, um, but that's just not the case. Uh, and so we use that to our advantage. Oftentimes we take the privilege and we say, okay, if I don't have to solve this with my words, I don't have to solve it at all. Um, and so oftentimes the shoulder to shoulder communication can alleviate some of that pressure. Nice. Nice. Good stuff. You guys, I'm wondering how many, how many men out there are justify their dysfunction or borderline abuse or straight up abuse because it's not physical. So it's like, it's not like I'm hitting you. I'm providing, I'm doing these things, but, um, I'm curious, uh, for question for both of you. How often do do children mention, you know, daddy yelling versus daddy hitting? Just so for a man watching this who's like, oh, shoot, I've said that. I've totally shouted that at my family. It's not like I'm hitting you, you know, thinking that the other forms are okay. And then how we justify it also in the you just make me so. Like how we use our words to communicate. You just make me so mad. You just make me as if they're like the, 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 the victim at the, you know what I mean? Like it's, they're being victimized. And so they're lashing out as caused by the other person. Um, yeah. You guys want to chime in on that? Any part of that? Yeah. I'll kick us off. I, I was thinking about your comment earlier about feelings too, when you were talking about, uh, the, you just make me, um, the, the, the responsibility that we carry with our feelings, right. And they may not always be true, but they're always real. Um, and so when we, if our feelings are real, um, then it's, then it's really a, a lot a logistical impossibility to say someone else is making me feel them. Um, so they're, they're yours and, uh, you have to take responsibility for those as, as a man. Um, and I'm speaking to myself just as much as anybody, but, um, yeah, I think that that's a, a, a crucial delineation in talking about where we are comfortable um, expressing emotions and how easy it is to say, well, I'm feeling this because you did this. And yeah, there are certain instances when somebody does something and I get an emotion, and yet I'm still responsible for how I respond to um, that action uh, and what I do with my emotions because they are real. So the the onus is always on ourself to be able to control those um, and to be able to experience them. Uh, and I think that, again, that goes back to the language we use uh, and the comfortability we have in even expressing that we have these feelings, whether they're, they're, they're negative um, or not. Um, so, yeah. And I think one of the things that we need to recognize as well is, is emotional abuse. Um, you know, you have it's, it's, um, there's a lot more complexity to it. And one of the things that, um, also makes it a lot more dangerous is because it's a lot harder to prove there. Most of the things that most of the tactics within like abusing somebody emotionally, using coercion, using threats, uh, most of those things aren't against the law unto themselves. Um, what we see at Mary's Place is children who um, have very vivid memories of both verbal and physical abuse that they have witnessed or heard or been a part of as well. So uh, many times um, just because a, um, a father is abusive to the mom um, 
that does not mean that they are, there's a higher probability that they'll always also be abusive towards the kids, um, statistically speaking. So, um, so there's, so children do disclose, um, you know, their, the parent who has done harm, you know, yelling, or also we see them even acting out that physical, um, those scenarios, those physical abuse scenarios within our center, within the supervised visits. Gotcha. Thank you, man. And kudos to eight years of doing that job, Christopher. I mean, really, it's a big deal. It's the most rewarding work I've ever done. Another quote from um, No Visible Bruises. She says, we look for the rageaholic, but only about 25% of batterers fit that definition. Instead, it's an inflexible personality, a rigid black or white thinker. So I feel like that, that kind of summarizes some of what we've been discussing. Um, and could that be, could that be a way that, that someone who is super stressed and feeling the dysfunction in their home, possibly for the first time, um, with, you know, with this pandemic could possibly just being flexible, you know, like choosing to be flexible, choosing to be nimble choosing to maybe change the the role in the in the house you know like you've never had to cook or clean that bathroom and now you do you know and that's okay just be flexible you know is that something that would be just a very simple way of showing that like i can do this i would say yeah i love the idea of flexibility um i mean what you're describing is flexibility not just psychologically but also physiologically and doing chores and uh, and being around the house and having different types of roles. But um, yeah, in, in counseling session, I often refer to that as a, as a resiliency. Things are changing. And how do I, how do I respond to these external pieces um, in a way that is healthy? Yeah, I like the idea of being able to be flexible. I, I agree. Flexibility. And it's a little bit of a, a letting go, I suppose. Letting go of um, some of the things that you're like, really holding on to um and being uh you know not flexible about <laughs> um but the caveat of that um that is great however unless you're doing this to kind of uh save it for later like okay i'm being super flexible now and i'm going to put this in my memory bank and then i'm going to pull out this time and weaponize it against somebody else so that's when it doesn't become okay, you know, and that's, and I guess that's one of the things that um, I guess I could see happening with um, some folks who are just like, oh yeah, I'll just be flexible now. And, but then when, you know, later on, they'll use that against the other party. Well, that's a great point. That's such a great point. It's like the, the means it is doing the laundry, the means to an end, or is it just the end? I just did laundry and that's it. I had no agenda right. with the laundry. That's, I think that's, that's a killer point. That's a good point. I, I, I would love to do this again um, as we're about an hour in, and there's a, clearly so much more we could talk about. Um, hopefully, uh, for those of you watching, man or woman, um, hope you found something in here that you can run with, even to a small degree. Um, like you know, Tyler and Christopher listed. There's a number a number of ways that you can find some some care, some some help, some guidance. Um, 
just some emotional stability with all the, the newness of this mm-hmm. pandemic season. So, um, and, and of course, uh, for those of you who don't know, we do have a 24 hour helpline at Saving Grace. Um, if you are feeling unsafe with a partner at home, please call 541-389-7021. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, I, I got a lot to, to think about. I, I gleaned a ton. Um, I, I truly appreciate both your perspectives, where you're coming from, both um, on the counseling side, Tyler, and then working with families, Christopher. Um, yeah, thank you both very much. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. All Take right, care. we'll do this again. Be healthy.